0: Welcome to A.A. Beyond Belief, the podcast. I'm your host, John S. Today I'll be speaking with our friend Ben about Step 3. We made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood Him. Oh my, oh my, what to do, what to do. Well, hello. Welcome back, Ben. I appreciate you joining us this uh saturday morning
1: yeah thanks sean i uh, enjoyed our last conversation great deal i'm looking forward to talking more about
0: this i did too and that turned out to be one of our more popular podcasts actually i think i think the steps mean a lot to people regardless of your belief system if you're in alcoholics anonymous you're going to approach the 12 steps and those of us that, that approach them from a secular perspective sometimes have a little difficulty and it means a lot to people to hear you know that it's possible to do um so today we're going to be talking about step three, which will be interesting. Um, I've, I've known some militant atheists who will not even bother with step three. They don't, they don't even see any sense interpreting it. But I think it's an important step, and I think it's worth discussing. But the step is written, and correct me if I make a mistake, but we made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. So Ben, tell me, how did you approach that step?
1: How did I approach that step? Well, I know I was asked to, when I initially worked the steps with another man, um, I was asked to, you know, consider the idea that there's a possibility that there's a higher power. And I, I definitely, I definitely considered that. I sometimes say in meetings, I have contempt after lots of investigation for this, but um, so I, I definitely considered it. But to me, it um, you know you and I have been getting down the nitty gritty of what really works in a step. And to me, it's like it's making a decision to let go of my old way of thinking or trying to have my way with doing things the exact same way I used to do it, and and committing to trying to do something different. I mean, that's really as simple as I can boil it down to.
0: Exactly, that's how that's how I see it too. Um, it started with, out for me a little bit different, I guess, uh, because I was really trying to do it with a belief in a, in a God. But it turns out that the, the belief in a deity is a very small part of the step. The biggest part of the step was a decision, like you just said, a decision to really change your life, to stop doing things the way that you had been doing them in the past. Um, but when I approached the step, the way that we did it in my big book loving group was, um, <clears throat> I would read sections of the big book, uh, repeatedly. Um, and I believe it was, I can't remember what chapter it was, but, um, that chapter, there's a paragraph that was a very big part of the step for me, which still applies by the way. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm going by memory. Um, selfishness, self-centeredness that we think is the root of our troubles driven by a hundred forms of fear, self-seeking, self-delusion, self-pity, we step on the toes of our fellows and they retaliate, seemingly without pro- provocation. But invariably we find that at some time in the past, we have made decisions based on self, which later place us in a position to be hurt. So our troubles, we think, are basically of our own making. They arise out of ourselves, something like that. Yeah. So from. So for me, it turned out that this step was almost an, a mini inventory where I I understood the depths of my self-centeredness and the dangers of that. you want to talk about that a little bit? Because I, I think that this could be a little bit dangerous. We don't want to beat ourselves up for being self-centered bastards. But at the same time, I think there is something to this.
1: Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I, I think it's dicey territory, for lack of a better word. It's I can get behind all of that reading. Um, sometimes the way it beats it into our head about how self-centered and selfish we are, um, I think can be damaging because I think, and maybe... Uh, Maybe I'm thinking wrong on this. I suppose the book was written for, you know, people, the lowest of the low as far as being chronically drunk. So likely it seems like you're living on that self-will so much, but really you're acting out of instinct. I mean, that is the disease of alcoholism. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, my my own personality, and maybe I'm self-deluded myself, but but... Um, Part of my growth in recovery has been becoming more, I won't say selfish. You'll hear it in meetings where people say, you know, I need to be more selfish or it's a selfish program. I don't believe that. I think it's a program, for me at least, first and foremost, of self-concern. I had to learn to have self-concern first and foremost. One of my, for lack of a better word, character defects was I was always worried about what everybody else thought or trying to please everybody else or make sure I didn't rock the boat. So for me to speak up and be more assertive is growth. Whereas sometimes I listen to that passage you wrote, and, and I wonder how people that feel like I do or have the same type of personality I do or issues would feel by hearing that. It's, it's um, I don't know. But then I go back on it, too, and as you're reading it, I'm like nodding my head to myself, and I'm like, yes. I can see how many times how my, my deluded thinking about things, my always only relying on what I thought especially when you're dealing with an addicted brain, was extremely dangerous. And then I would react out of this, and I still do this today, I would react out of that hypersensitivity that I have, and then I'd stomp all over somebody else's toes, and then they'd freak out on me, and I'd be like, whoa, wait a second, you were the one who was saying this and saying that. And half the mm-hmm. time, people weren't even saying anything. There, It was just what I was reading into what they were saying. Now, on the other hand, I, I also I have pretty good intuition and, I'm you know, I know quite a bit about psychology and things like that. So it's not good for me to presume that, but it's also what I'm trained in. So um, I agree with you. There's a there's a middle ground to be found on this because I can see how and, and I'll even put it this way. I think our disease, for lack of a better word, is um, one of impulsiveness. I mean, that's what the brain sets us up to do when it becomes physically addicted. So if I'm always acting out of instant gratification all the time, I'm not making good decisions. It's about recovery to me is about making those little decisions day by day that end up resulting in a pretty good result. Much like say, if you invested for your retirement, it's not about winning the lottery and putting that money away. It's the people who get there tend to be the people who diligently put a little bit away and let the power of compound interest work for them. So, so that to get out of that old thinking of I want what I want right now, or I just want to feel good right now, or I just want to get drunk right now. Somewhere in there we got to find like, no, this is going to take some time. I've got to be a little measured about this. I've got to, you know, I maybe don't have the hope right now or the faith right now, for lack of a better word, but I have to trust this process and that things are going to be better. Yeah. I suppose this step is about that, like putting some faith in this process.
0: I think so. Something you said um, about, acting on instinct rather than think, thinking through i think is a big part of this because when um when i was drinking during the worst years of my drinking I, the last 5 years or so of my drinking i was i was always reacting to whatever crisis was in my life mm-hmm. i never could plan anything out it was always a struggle to somehow land on my feet to get out of whatever mess I was in. I, that's how I lived for five straight years. And I think I kind of conditioned my brain to to work like that so that everything was a reaction to whatever happened in my life. My boss looked at me the wrong way or any, any little thing, I would just react from whatever feeling of fear I, I may have been um, feeling at the time. So I think that I had that that um, that working for me, but I was two years sober by the time I got to the step. Now remember the group I went to; it took a lot of time to go through the steps because you have to read the, the book over and over and over and over again. Uh, right. But so I was I was two years sober, and I believe I was about two years sober. Yeah, and and it was during that time. I was having a lot of difficulty in my life. I was having arguments with people. I was getting angry. Um, It just seemed like I was in conflict with people a lot. And I would talk to my sponsor about this, and he would always refer me back to that paragraph I just recited, which is why I have it memorized. And he would always ask me to look at my part and where where was I selfish or where was I self-centered. And in the very beginning, I thought, this is bullshit. You know, I'm not. I'm not a selfish person. You know, I'm. I'm a good person. I'm. You know, mm-hmm. I try to do good things for other people. But after a while, I could begin to see that yeah, I was thinking about. I was thinking about myself a lot more, mm-hmm. um, and I wasn't thinking about the other person. I would. I would do things that were absolutely selfish without even really realizing that they were selfish. And I began to realize that this way of living this totally self-absorbed way of life wasn't going to work for me.
1: Mm -hmm. I
0: needed to find another way to live. So I made a decision to change. And that's what I needed to change besides just not drinking. I needed to change that part of me that made it impossible to have healthy relationships with other people.
1: Yeah, I agree 100%. And as much talk in AA as there is about powerlessness, Um, I believe this step is about becoming empowered like the things that you talked about it's like oh hey I'm realizing that if I don't react the same way I might get different results it's like you become a you become a you're part of the fight then it's like if if we don't realize that about ourselves our life just tends to keep going that way you were talking about like chaos and crisis to crisis and even the smallest things in the world feel like crisis when when that's going on so As much as we talk about powerlessness, I think this step is all about empowerment. And we get, I think we get so hung up on what's on the other side of the equation. If, if we really are talking about giving up our, our old ways and our old tendencies towards thinking and trying to do something different. But in AA, so much of the worry seems to be on the other side of it. Well, what's your higher power? What's your higher power? What's your higher power? It's, it's no, it's the other half of the equation that, that is doing the actual work. I think it is, letting that stuff go. And I think combined with step two, two and three is about um, letting go of being such a control freak. So as a whole, I, I just, I think, you know, they roll together pretty well when you look at them in more of this, I don't want to say generic way, but the way we've been talking about the stuff. So it's like, you admit you have a problem. You came to believe that there's something to be found here in this process at AA or in in doing whatever it is we're doing, and then you make a decision to to commit yourself to trying to do it. That being said, though, I mean, there was tons of times in my life where I made a decision to do things differently, and it seemed like that decision went down the the crap pipe, you know, in a hurry. Um, Mm -hmm. So I will absolutely give AA credit for keeping me on that beam better and keeping me active in continuing to make that decision.
0: I think you're right that the uh, God part of the equation is the more insignificant part. And maybe that's just because of us being atheists, but truly it's the decision. We made a decision. that mm-hmm. That's really what this step is all about. Once you Once you admit that you have a problem, and once you come to believe that something can help you with that problem— The next logical step is to make a decision to do something, right? This is the experience part of the step. Um, They say that this is an action step, the first of the action steps, and I do believe that. But there's also an experience to it. And that is what what we just said there. Boy, I I give up. I can't handle it anymore. I'm an alcoholic. I need help. I believe that AA can help me. I'm going to make a decision to start going to meetings, and I start going to meetings. And I think that is the experience of the first three steps from our actual experience. Do you agree with that? You yep, see it that I way? Would.
1: Um I, I do feel that way. And I'd even in more of a human sense, like I to take AA out of the equation even I mean I think AA is great, but I think it is a good human thing to do to to be connected to other people who are and for our purpose in AA, other people who are trying to do the same thing we are, just trying to change our lives and be better people and, and have found a way to help do that where it seemed like we just could not do it before. I mean, how many times did I try to do, for me at least, this is the truth, there are so many times I tried to do what AA asked me to do before I got to AA on my own. And again, mm-hmm. i just, I just fizzle out like There's a lot of things that I learned in my different, whatever you want to call them, spiritual quests or whatever the heck Ben was doing at that time to try and better himself. And I learned them, but then, again, I just didn't have a process of staying engaged of reminding myself of that. It was like this all-or-nothing thinking I had where if I learned something once, it was always in my memory banks, and for then forward, I would always you know practice that perfectly. I mean that was the broken thought that I had to get out of my head. It's not just learn it once and it's there forever. you got to work that thing.
0: yep yeah, that's how I, that's how I see it too Now it says in our literature that it's just a beginning when we um, when we've decided to go to aA as our as a solution to our problem. That's just a beginning. However, I think you could stop there and be okay, and you can say you've done all three steps. That if you've, if you've admitted you have a problem, you believe that something can help you, and you made a decision to go get help, I think you've done the first three steps, period. Now, if you choose to go further, I think that's great, There's, because there is, some, there is more to be gained from the experience. I think, it's, I think having the experience is one thing, but learning from the experience and applying it to your life is something else. So for me, it was actually constructive to start to start for the very first time in my life really to start being more introspective and taking a look at my actions and 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 how I am the conflicts that I was having with people and for the very first time not by looking at the other person's part but really taking a look at my part which was what myself myself my self-centeredness basically just taking a look at that now, it, like like I said in the very beginning, you have to be so 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 careful with this stuff because you know, we 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 want to be able to look at the self-centeredness not in a judgmental way. It's mm-hmm. a very human thing to be self-centered. In fact, when you look when you look in the 12 and 12, when you get into this step, and I'm again, I'm just kind of going by memory. It's been a while since I've read this, but
1: mm-hmm.
0: it talks a lot about natural instincts that we mm-hmm. uh, that we that That's how we act. We act on our instincts. Totally natural. But for the alcoholic, and I don't know if this is really true if it's specifically for alcoholics, but maybe it is true for a lot of us, that we demand far more from our instincts than perhaps we should. And that imbalance causes a problem. What are yeah. your thoughts on that?
1: Well, this is where I can get behind and, and maybe say, wow, they really had something figured out that they didn't even know they had figured out because... I think we talked about the last podcast, you know, the instinct part of your brain is where that physical dependence lies. So, yeah, alcoholics are living out of that instinct as that is, let's just call it alcoholism, for lack of a better word, as that dependence increases, it kind of climbs that totem pole of needs, which is why you see when we get to the more chronic stages, you know, we'll forego food, we'll forego shelter in, in the name of alcohol. So, yeah, I, I, they're definitely onto something about that too. But then on the other hand, um, the side of me says it's also a natural instinct and it's what helps keeps, keep us alive. So, so many things in AA that, that maybe get under my skin a little bit are the extremes. It's like either you're selfish, egocentric, self-centered bastard and, or you're, you know, pure as the driven snow and you're got a life of service that dedicated to AA and helping people every waking second. It's like, there's yeah. a middle ground in there that, that needs to be to be found, you know. And when I'm bouncing back and forth between those two things, it's kind of like a place for shame to grow. It's it's And sometimes when sponsors will say to people, I believe, um, well, what's your part? There's never an option in there that maybe you don't have a part. It's always what's your part, what's your part, what's your part? Which is, yeah. like you said, it is a great habit to get into to say, well, what might be my part in here? the truth is every once in a while, maybe we don't have a part. Maybe we're just dealing with something that's sure. really difficult. And so we, sure. become empowered, we become empowered by understanding that, hey, other human beings have their days and have their moments too. Maybe I right. need to make the understanding of that. So there's where that empowerment comes in too. You yeah. gets into that shamey, blamey thing where, you know, to the point where, I mean, you hear horror stories about people revealing their traumas to their sponsors and they get asked what's their part like. Oh, you were, you know, a young kid and you were abused and, you know, well, what was your part? And sometimes people say, well, you didn't speak up. See, to me, that is just, that is abuse yeah. on a sponsor's part to me is like blaming a victim for their own trauma. It's like when you're younger, you don't yeah. have that voice.
0: This is really deep stuff and, and it gets us in trouble because, you know, I'm, and I'm not a psychologist, I'm not trained in this kind of stuff, but, but I do know that human beings are very complex it's not that we're all good or that we're all bad or that, you know, there's, there's just a lot of gray areas that we we have a little bit of everything in us. And Mm -hmm. to say that we're just selfish, that's just part of it. Sometimes we are. Sometimes we've, sometimes it was a decision that we made that later placed us in a position to be hurt, but sometimes it wasn't. Sometimes it was some Mm -hmm. other person's decision to hurt us. Mm -hmm. It's just very, very, it's dicey stuff, but for me, I guess when I was doing this in the very, very beginning, I, I was I was practicing real black and white thinking mm-hmm. because that's just where I was in my life at the time, and the type of people that I was were, I was I had in my life at the time. So I was constantly looking at myself as the bad guy, the person that was always causing all the problems in my life. Um, that's not necessarily healthy, but at least it got me into the habit of starting to look at myself and trying to trying to look at my part in this anyway but what ultimately happened to me ben is i got to a point in my life where i realized that i had more problems than just drinking i had i had i had something i needed to look at and i made a decision to change now for me at the time what that meant was i was ready to get with my sponsor and believe this is what we actually did we got on our knees together and we prayed the third step prayer. <laughs> mm-hmm. And and that was my decision to do that. And my sponsor at the time told me that, that was the most that was the most meaningful way to do it, the humbling way to do it, to get on your knees with the other person. And I remember at the time feeling kind of uncomfortable doing that. But that's what I did. And there are people out there that do that today who are comfortable with it. And I think that's great because for them, this is a this is a um this is something where they do want to bring their God in, into play because they they believe that they have a God that helps them. Well, for me as a secular person, I don't believe that there's a God. So it's not necessary for me to, to do that, do that part of it, but I can make a decision within myself to make a change and I can make a commitment. I can make a commitment by going to meetings and following through with the rest of the steps. Yep.
1: Absolutely. I've, uh, it, there is power in that. There's something very humbling about putting yourself on your knees, and, uh, you know, it, it, that's a sign of commitment. And, you know, I sure don't, you know, anybody can do whatever they want there. I remember I heard a yeah. story one time, though, I, uh, I have a friend of mine in the program who is Jewish, and her sponsor fired her because she wasn't willing to get down on her knees and say that prayer. Well, we know Jewish people don't tend to kneel when they pray. So, I mean, Wow. Yeah, there's just there's got to be a little leeway in there somewhere. It's like we we try and my concern is we make it difficult for people who want to be sober to stay sober when we get so caught up in the little details of it. Uh Um, And I just don't think it has to be that hard.
0: Absolutely. Um, Yes. Uh, my, the, the way that I, it's funny, when you come up in AA, when you're, you're basically raised in AA, I came in at a, I was fairly young and God, I was really raised by that group. And that was the only AA I knew was, was doing things that particular way. And for whatever reason, I just bought into it. I didn't, I never questioned it until many, many, many decades later. But I think the healthier approach for that group to, or that sponsor of mine, the healthier approach that they could have taken would have been to say, if this is your tradition, is if this is what you're comfortable doing, if this if this is in accordance with your belief system, then by all means we will do this. But mm-hmm. if it's not, that's perfectly fine. Mm-hmm. We got to get out. Of, that's the that's the situation that we're in right now in Alcoholics Anonymous, that we have this real fundamentalist back to basics stream within the movement that doesn't, that doesn't make room for people like us. And it's scaring a lot of people away. And we, we need to stop and say, hey, listen, yeah, back in the old days, the 1930s, they all got on their knees and this is what they did. But you know what? You don't necessarily have to do it that way.
1: Maybe it's the counselor me speaking, but it's like the sponsor who practices forcing people to do things in an exact certain way. It's almost like they think they don't make it their job at all to get to know their sponsee. It's almost just like, well, of course, you must regard me as this great guru. So I'm going to tell you exactly how to do it. It's To me, the, the depth of the connection that you get with the sponsee-sponsor relationship is getting to know the other person and, trying to find out what maybe works for them, not just get on this, get on this factory line and get, get pumped out as a great recovered alcoholic at the end of it.
0: Yep. My uh, sponsor was, and he's a great guy. He helped me a lot out a lot. I'm thinking about, I had a, I've had four different sponsors since I've been sober, and they've kind of been with me during certain periods of my life. And this one particular sponsor, he's, he, was, he was a very rigid person, but, but I kind of maybe needed that. I don't know. I, I think yeah. that he was a good person, that he was really trying to help me the way, the best that he could. Mm-hmm. But um, it wouldn't help me now. And I meet other, I meet other people coming into the program today where that type of sponsor relationship is downright damaging. So we have, to, we have to be so careful. Um, I think it's really important that if somebody goes to an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting, they're new to the program, and they go to a particular group, that ha- go to other groups. You've got to go to a bunch of different groups because every group is different. And you might go to one group that has a very rigid, dogmatic, specific, prescribed way of going through the steps. That might be that group's way of doing it. But then you can go to a completely other group where it's totally open, that allows you to have your own experience. So there's a wide range of Alcoholics Anonymous out there. Every single group and every single meeting is different. So newcomers out there should experience a lot of different meetings before they decide what approach they're going to take with this,
1: I think. Absolutely. And I want to agree with you too, John. I think, you know, that dogmatism and rigidity does have its place more often in the early going part of recovery because it's just about doing what you got to do to, you know, make it one more day sometimes. So it's, it's not, I'm not a fan of it, but it's, it certainly has worked for a lot of people. Absolutely.
0: That's true. And I think also, just for where I was in my life at the time, my problems were pretty simple at, at that particular time. I mean, I was doing things like I would be dishonest or I'd do, I'd do something that would, you know, I'd eat someone's food. <laughs> I'd do shitty, yeah. I'd do really selfish things that were pretty obvious, you know, that I was, um, I was, I did something that was self-centered. But, I honestly couldn't see it. I didn't see my <laughs> self centeredness And now it would have been now it's obvious. So at that time I did have these really stark situations. But now in my life I've I've fortunately I've grown that it becomes a little bit more difficult to see my self-centeredness. It's a little more subtle now.
1: Oh, I was just going to relay an experience I had. I ran into a friend from my hometown the other day and he asked me what I'd been doing and all that stuff. And I told him, yeah, I spent some time as a drug and alcohol counselor. And he goes, oh, well, yeah, man, I had three DUIs. And I'm like, oh yeah, man, I had two. So that that was enough for me. And he goes, yeah, you know, Lincoln cops, they're just always out to get you. And they you know, you don't even barely have to speed and you're getting pulled over. And it was just one of those moments, like you just said, where I realized how much my thinking has changed, you know, like that, yeah. that line of thinking doesn't even, doesn't generally pop into my head very much these days. It's more like my default, again, this is thanks say AA, my default is to go, well, wait a second, Ben, where might have you been, you know, doing something and not in a shaming way, but. It is a good thing to always check that out first before I open my mouth up.
0: That's the dangerous, the most dangerous thing about alcoholism and probably drug addiction, too. It really, our, our brains get warped. I, I was that way back in the 80s when I was getting my DWIs. Um, there was a, a group called Mothers Against Drunk Driving that was really um, had a significant impact on changing the drunk driving laws and making them more difficult. Well, I hated that group. I hated yeah. them. I, I thought that it was getting to where people couldn't even drink anymore. I thought it was a horrible, terrible thing. But you know yeah. what? That, that actually ended up saving, God knows, millions of lives were saved. Yeah. Um, I was even talking to my doctor. He's an older guy um, about, you know, back in the 50s and the 60s. And he said, man, we were killing each other. He says every time that we, you know, we never thought anything of it, drinking and driving back then, you know. Um, so yeah, but yeah, I, I honestly thought that that side society was out of hand. Um, it wasn't certainly wasn't my fault. Every time I was thrown in jail, I thought it was ridiculous. So. Damn political
1: correctness and not letting us drive around drunk.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: Liberal hippies. I was also yeah. pissed
0: off when they when they when they started complaining about smoking in the office. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's amazing that slow slow change and evolving of society is yeah I mean like you said I it was it was regular for me to drive home every single night that I went out and got drunk I would drive home I, when I was listening back to our podcast you said something like I didn't seem to not be able to drive drunk even though I told myself I wasn't going to that was my experience completely I'd go out and I'd be like don't get too drunk or don't drive home if you get drunk and then as soon as I'd be drunk enough, it'd be like, "Oh, screw that! That's for people who don't know what the hell they're doing." I'm the best drunk driver there is, and you know, I set the cruise control in town. I'm not that dangerous. I mean, it's ridiculous to look back at that.
0: Yeah, it's 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 a horrible thing um, because you know, I, I remember. During my second DUI, they actually tried to teach um, controlled drinking at this place. They tried to teach you how to how to pace your drinks and stuff like that. And I actually did try that, and it didn't work for me. And I ended up getting drunk and blacked out and driving. But you know what? Technology has a way of taking care of things because they they now have this, this um, mechanism whereby in order to start your car, you have to blow into a breathalyzer. Otherwise, your car won't start. Yep, isn't that great? Done that. They...
1: <laughs>
0: now there's no way around that, is there? Unless you get in someone else's car and drive it, I guess. Yeah, so... they,
1: usually it uh, you have to blow in it to get it started, and then within five minutes it goes off again, and then about every half hour after that. Oh really? I had heard, I had heard. I don't know if it's true, but I had heard that they have it in one of the Asian countries, and it's it's almost going to be standard on every car. So who knows if that really? will happen? But... Yeah. Oh, that's I was gonna, you, you said something earlier that made me think about something. You were talking about the selfish, self centered thinking. Um, I can remember, I spent like the majority of my time thinking about what everybody else had done wrong and very little time on thinking about what my part may have been. And again, I think AA has helped swing me in the way of empowerment and realizing that, you know, I probably think 10% of the time about what other people are doing and 90% on what I can do different. So the, the second half of that first step, I, I cringe a little bit too when we hear that in meetings because I think we, are, we, are, we have more power over more things than we think when we come in. Like yeah, we're control freaks and we're trying to trying to control everything. But you know, I have way more influence than I think I do, and not in like an arrogant way. It just means if I come out of conversation with somebody, irate to begin with, I've already influenced that conversation in a way that might be screwing it for for its entirety. Well, mm-hmm. now if I can come to things and be be um, be approachable and be congenial and just be kind to begin with, you know we. We have much more power than we think we do. We have much more influence over, you know, they talk about positivity and happiness and how it's contagious. It literally is contagious. Like if you're angry and negative all the time, it's like a cold. Other people can catch it. There's been scientific studies that can prove it. So we have we have a lot more power than we think we do, too.
0: No, I agree. And this actually is very helpful stuff. Now, like I say, if, if all you do is make a decision to go to AA, as far as I'm concerned, you've worked this step. But if you do go further and you start reading our literature and you start looking at behaviors and stuff, it does kind of give you a barometer to gauge your, uh, your own um, mental, emotional state. Um, like I was saying a little earlier, it's more—it's a little bit more subtle now for me um, because because I'm not blatantly self-centered where I just do things that um, are are just blatantly selfish that hurt people. But I do sometimes my my thinking my thinking can move away from from other people to more about whatever's going on in my life. And when that Mm -hmm. happens, I start going down a road where things start getting a little out of hand. I'll just kind of give you an example. Um, When I first um, was getting this group started, the We Agnostics group here in Kansas City, it was um, an amazing experience because we started out with just two of us, and then another person would show up, and another person would show up, another person would show up. And each of these new people I was I I felt like I was invested in that person. I really cared about that person. I wanted that person to do well, and I thought about them a lot. I I would find myself during the day thinking about those people, thinking about that group, and I noticed that during that time I was no longer worried about my boss or problems at work. Or it was it was just it put me in a pretty good pretty good place. Now, two years later, almost two years later, the group the group has been pretty well established and I still care about people, don't get me wrong, and I still think about them, but I find myself creeping in there a little bit more. I start mm-hmm. thinking more about worrying about the website and the next article I'm going to publish or worrying about oh, all kinds of crap that's going on in my life. And And it's okay to think about that kind of stuff, but I have a tendency to sometimes latch on to that and worry about it a little bit little bit too much and it Mm -hmm. it begins to take over and i begin i begin getting depressed and behaving um in response to whatever the stuff is going on in my life but if i can just somehow break that cycle and start thinking about and caring about other people it does somehow help is there any sound psychology to any of that (laughs)
1: Oh, well, I think so. I mean, and, you know, I I can't cite any studies off the bat, but I can I can say that I agree with that for sure. And I think what you're talking about, too, is I think what the dogmatists had warned us about the danger of, um, you know, the longer you're away from your first drink, the closer you are to your next or something. I think that's what they're talking about. If we get too comfortable with, you know, being sober, it's easy to, to rest on our laurels, Um But yeah, you know, you're also, we're just getting our life back on some level too. So, so we've got worries that that are legitimate, but I definitely, I know what you mean because I can get obsessive about some stuff. Like, as you know, we just had a baby and it's like, awesome. Mm. It has put so many things in perspective. (laughs) And my annoyances with some of my traditional meetings and the dogmatists and things like that, it just, just kind of vanished for a while. But then I can get – if I dig into those waters a little bit, I can get there and, like, I'm just gone. You know, I'm out of the present moment, and I'm thinking about this. And the next thing you know, I'm worrying about saving for our daughter's college fund and hopefully how we can – Isn't that great? Yeah. yeah,
0: That's great. It gets you – you're thinking about her. You're thinking about the baby. You're thinking about your daughter and that's and that is moving away all the other thoughts that were um, and it's and yeah that's pretty cool.
1: It, it is cool, but then I can even take those thoughts and turn them into something bad. Like then I obsess about, well, where am I going to put the money for the right place to get the best return for her college fund? You right. know, it's just like that. It's my thinking. It's not. It's not AA's fault. It's not the world's fault. It's not whatever's going on at work or you know, yeah. with a spouse. It's 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 my tendency to get obsessive about everything even the good things in my life. So it's just about finding that moderation, I think.
0: And I don't want to scare you, but I can't even imagine putting a kid through college now, how much that would cost.
1: Oh, definitely. I've definitely <laughs> thought about that. You know, you think about even what you just need to put away each year, just, just to total up to that, let alone, you know, counting for the growth. Um, yeah, it can be overwhelming. But then when I, also I went need to the-
0: KU in 1980, I believe this is right. It's hard to believe, but I swear to God – that my first semester was like 400,
1: $500. Yeah. I think (laughs) university of Nebraska in 94, I think I remember, uh, my tuition for the first semester was either, I can't remember if it was $1,500 or $3,000. It was one was either, you know, yeah, it's crazy to think
0: how that's. I've been, a, anyway, I've got
1: a few. I've got a few more thoughts written down here from going through the twelve and twelve earlier too.
0: Okay, let um,
1: it. It talked about how the first two steps were about acceptance, and this third is about willingness. That I can definitely agree with. I, I found that part of the twelve by twelve very. Uh, uh, good. I was like, yeah, yes, yes, yes. This third step is on some level about willingness. Are you going to do it or not? Okay. You're making a decision to do it. Okay. Now let's go get to work. Uh, when and that's where
0: it was saying the first two steps being acceptance steps. Those, and, and that's what kind of what we were talking about last time, because there's really no action involved, really. Those are just experiences that we had that we accept.
1: Mm-hmm. So now the
0: willingness is part, there's some action in becoming willing, I guess is what yep. what it's talking about there.
1: Yeah. And it talks a little bit too about um, the act of giving over our will actually results in independence. Yes, yes, yes. I love that part of the 12 by 12. Because you think, well, I was listening to a podcast about Louis C.K. talking about having kids. And he says, all the things you're scared that you're going to lose in your life from having kids are things that are generally good to lose anyway, like you were talking about mm-hmm. like. I don't worry about the stupid stuff quite as much. I'm more focused on, you know, our life together and things like that in a good, healthy way. So it's, it's Mm -hmm. um, giving up my will actually results in something that's good for me in, in the long run. And, and it does give you independence, I think and freedom.
0: You brought up, that's an interesting topic you brought up too. And I'm glad that you're looking through the 12 and 12, because I kind of forgot about that. There's a big discussion there about self-will and willpower too, I believe. And I, there's a, there's, it's, it's, it, it talks, it's in the 12 and 12, I believe it says that our problem wasn't lack of will. You know, we have mm-hmm. incredible willpower as alcoholics and mm-hmm. addicts. I mean, just to go through all the crap that we go through and endure that, it takes all that willpower. But it was the way that we used our will that was the problem.
1: Mm-hmm. Now,
0: most people are going to approach this thing from a religious perspective. So how do, mm-hmm. at, how do you look at letting go of self-will or turning something over? How do you do that from a secular point of view?
1: Yeah. To me, again, it's I focus on that first half, it's just about me letting go of needing to be right or being in control. Um, maybe this is a little bit too much woo for people who aren't, you know, I'm not a spiritual person either. I don't really care for that word, but about kind of letting things happen organically and just trusting this process. Or like, you know, when I first went to college, it was like, it was beyond me to even think about, the end of the semester. Like, I I remember I would look forward in the syllabus and, you know, if like week 10 of 15 had some huge long um, term paper to do, I'd be like, well, guess I've got to change this class and go to another one. You know, that's how bad my my thinking was. It was that um, just that impulsive thinking. Whereas now with more of a a recovery mindset, it's like, okay, I just got to do what I got to do each day and I'm going to get the results eventually. Or, something else may them up so it's about kind of letting go of that need to grab a hold of something so hard to try and get it to turn out the way you want it to turn out and just kind of letting go and putting in your work and doing your diligence and having a little bit of excitement and interest in seeing where things go rather than fear and frustration about things not happening the way i expect them to that's kind of a way I yeah. look at
0: this, too. Does that make sense? It does. It does, perfectly, uh, especially what you said about trusting the process. I remember in Santa Monica, Ward Ewing was talking about spirituality and AA and, and, and how um, really the, the difference between um, us atheists and the believer is basically um, language. And he said, you know, instead of letting go and letting God, why not just let go? Mm-hmm. um if you need to turn something over you don't need to turn it over to anything necessarily just turn it over right. um and i think that 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 is a lot to this so yeah the i guess when i'm when i when we when we're talking about will here i can recognize that my old way of doing things prior to aa was not working and my mm-hmm. old way of doing things was to be totally totally and we talked about this a little bit in, in step 2 be totally totally self sufficient not let people know I had problems, not even really in depth look at the problems myself, but just somehow try to make everything work, I guess, um, mm-hmm. was my way of doing it. And that didn't work. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I, I can't live that way anymore. If I lived that way, I, I would still be drinking and I would probably wouldn't last very long. So yeah.
1: I, have I needed to theory. let go of that. Yes. Sorry to interrupt you, John.
0: No, no, you have be my line.
1: I have my little theory that um, the people who believe in God so hard are the biggest control freaks in general, because it's like even that saying, let go, let God, to me, it shows what control freaks we are as alcoholics in general. It says, well, okay, I'm only going to let this go if there's a God that's got it. You know what I mean? It's like, no, just let it go. Like you said, let it go. See what happens. You don't need to be in control of it. Um, it doesn't mean we don't put in our work. We do, but, um, yeah, let it go and let go of the outcome. You know, how much, how much much time did I spend miserable because I wanted to try and make everything turn out the way I thought it needed to turn out.
0: And let's not forget when you, what, what this is, this decision is really all about. I think it's, it is about what you, that trusting the process, what you said, that's Mm -hmm. what it's about. I'm making a decision to trust the process and to go on with the rest of the steps that's really my decision here. Mm-hmm. You, is, that, is that how you would kind of see this?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I agree with that a lot. And where, you know, step two is about finding some hope or realizing that you found some hope, maybe came to believe. Um, three is about having faith in this process and putting some trust in it. And yeah, I'll even say this, you know, like sometimes you see those memes or people will say, you know, I just got to trust that every, God's going to make sure everything turns out fine or whatever. But I think, what AA and recovery mindset has given me is understanding that no matter how things turn out, I'm going to be okay. Even if things happen that I'm not, you know, that I'm not okay. Maybe I'm physically harmed. Maybe I can make it through, but that I can handle it. I can go through it. I mean, God forbid I get diagnosed with some terminal disease or something. I can make it through it. I don't know. And that's Mm -hmm. an extreme example, but, Today, because of being involved in this and going on this little journey it's um i don't have any i don't have as many expectations about how things are going to be It's easy for me to say right now when I'm a healthy person and nothing's really going wrong in my life but i i have I have gained faith in the fact that no matter what comes up, I can learn how to handle it i mean it 's so easy mm-hmm. for us alcoholics to have something go wrong in our life and say, "Oh my God, how the hell am I going to make it through this this now, this has come up and I mean we hear each other go through stuff like that. But the truth is, everybody sitting here right now listening to this has made it through everything that's happened in their life. We maybe don't feel the best. We maybe don't feel great. We're maybe sad right now, but we're here. We've made it through. So all those times we thought we weren't going to, we have.
0: And, you know, when I, um, when I was uh, going through that period of time working the step with my sponsor where I was really kind of focusing on the reading about about selfishness and so forth and self-centeredness, it did bring to light for me that I needed to change the way I lived and and <clears throat> that that step 3 was a mini inventory for me because I really had to stop and take a look at how I was living how I was living my life so that I knew that I so t- in order to make a decision to change my life I needed to look at how I was living my life at the time and where it wasn't working and I exactly. think that was part that was part of this and from and and a good start for me was just looking at where um, self, where an over over um, emphasis on myself was involved, and so yeah, I, I came to a point where yes, I was ready to make a decision to go on to do step four because I I had learned enough about myself from from looking at my part in all of these um, conflicts I was having with people in my early sobriety. That I was ready to dig deeper and and start mm-hmm. doing an inventory.
1: Well, I'll I'll say too. I got to get my little beef in there, I guess. But when I would have sometimes I'd have clients come into my office when I was a counselor, and it's like they were so diehard on the God thing. And it was sometimes that belief can be a cop out when it comes to this self will thing. I think not always. There are plenty of people mm-hmm. who are very um, who are very you know um, letting go of self will and and believe in being in tune with God and you know releasing themselves to his will and care but sometimes it is this it's 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 an excuse to still act out of self-will it's a way to close off your life to other people who might be able to give you some good input because now it's it's just you and God you're just relying on God and sometimes I think you're just listening to your own thoughts there and I'll give an example I used to be a believer and I can remember um, I had a really really tough breakup at one point in my life when I was a believer, and I can remember thinking and feeling like, wow, I think God wants me to try and get back together with this person. I had broke off the relationship, oh, and wow. it was one of those things where it was difficult, but I can remember thinking like, God is telling me I need to be back together with this person. It was an awful, 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 chaotic relationship on mm-hmm. both on both sides. Both of us were awful mm-hmm. And now when I look back at it, I was just really in a lot of pain and sad, and I wanted, wanted that pain to go away. So it was so easy for me to convince myself that God was telling me to do this because I just I just wanted the pain to go away. And I don't say that to crap on somebody else's belief, but I think what's sometimes going on under that surface with people who grab the God thing so hard, and I don't necessarily see them connected to other human beings in a way that's benefiting their life. It is a way to stay isolated and it is a way to stay in self-will and stay egocentric and stay stay in that rigid control place. And now they got God and man. You can do a lot of damage when you when you are an arrogant, egotistic, driven asshole, and you've got God on your side. And I'm not yeah. speaking out of judgment. I'm speaking from no. experience. I did that. You know, I, I, that's I, a
0: very good point. I think Ben and I think it's something that could actually help a lot of people because, yeah, I I, I don't know if I ever was that had enough faith to actually think that I was ever inspired by God for anything, but I know there definitely are people who do um, look at their own they, they, their own emotional state and think it's a message from god and perhaps these people and i and I respect that we, we I want to come from a place of respect for their belief that they no doubt believe this. I think it would be important for them to stop to think that maybe maybe I'm mistaken. Maybe this is just – this isn't God, but maybe this is this is me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's getting a little ridiculous now because I absolutely know it's not God.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, I, and I, I'll speak I don't from – maybe I project on this too because I've grown up with a mother who's um very hardcore believer in God. But holy cow, does self-will run her life. She's got health issues. And she goes to the doctor and she won't share with him what's going on with her health wise. It's like she wants to control the information. But yet she's always so she's always so big on crediting God and giving God this and that and I need to pray on that and figure out what God tells me to do. And I you know, I'm getting very confident in, you know, confronting her because I'm seeing how it's it's harming her life. And I said, You know what, mom, it is amazing to me in all these years of you ignoring your health, not taking very good care of yourself, that God for once just hasn't told you listen to your doctors, give them the information they need and see what happens. You know? So it's, it's maybe that's why I project this about the God thing, but I have a mother who is very much like that. Now she's a wonderful person. She's very nice and very kind, but it's like, it is her way of guarding uh, herself from seeing some truth about what she needs to do. Now she has that, right? It's great. But mm -hmm. being so uh, intimately close with her because I'm her son, I, I can see you know, I can see how that plays out in her life, and I felt it personally plenty of times too.
0: Well, that all makes sense. So tell me this, Ben. How would you how would you sponsor somebody that was a believer? Okay, they're they're, they're a total believer. They're Christian or whatever, and mm-hmm. um, that you're their sponsor, and they're coming to you and they're telling you that God wants them to um, do something that's, that that that. You know, could actually end up hurting another person. For another, for example, they, God wants them to to get back into this broken relationship. How well, would you, know, you approach that?
1: Well, I, first, I would try and be very respectful of their of their beliefs. I mean, I think, we, I at least for me, when I'm working with people, either when I had clients or when, I mean, it's a little bit different with Sponsky's, I think, because it's more of a friend mm-hmm. relationship. But, um, you know, I try and respect their beliefs and say, look, I understand that, but um, there's also something you maybe need to think about. Here are some things to possibly think about. You could just be feeling... Really, really sad and in pain right now, and want that to go away. Sometimes the best thing to do is just wait a little bit. But I w- I'll support any decision you make. I go. It's, it depends. When I when I sponsor someone, I ask them from the get go. I go, What are you looking for in a sponsor? And I try and be that. Now I'm I'm going to be myself too. And it's not like I'm. Gonna, if they say, Oh, I want you to borrow me money all the time, that's not happening. But what I'm saying is, what What are you looking for in leadership and sponsorship? I want them to feel active in in their recovery. Because to me, that's what it's all about. I mean, I can order somebody around if that's not my style at all. But I can if somebody wants. But I've, I've, I've rarely seen it work. I've, I've rarely seen it work. At some point, we've got, to get, we've got to be number one in our own recovery. We've got to be driving the ship, even if driving the ship is giving it off to somebody else once in a while and saying, you steer for a while. So I think I just say, I understand you're in a lot of pain right now. I hear that this might be something you want to wait a little bit on and see. because, and you know, it's when we're ready to make a decision in a split second like that, it is almost always that impulse, that, that addictive impulse that we have in our head. Whereas if we give it just a little bit of time, it's amazing how like an hour or two later, I can feel so much differently about something. I don't know if I answered your question very well, but I do have people that I sponsor that are, that do believe. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't, we just respectfully disagree on the, the head honcho of it all. You know, it's important. It, right. uh, Fortunately they don't um they don't have a problem with that. I guess they wouldn't ask me to sponsor them if they did. But to me it's about the relationship. I I respect their belief. I actually, you know, I absolutely respect their belief and it's it's their right to believe that. And I don't try and change that in the least. But I, I do wow. try and be logical and realistic about things too, as I see them playing out in their life and try and give them a heads up without telling them what to do. But if they make a decision that I don't think is going to be great, I don't say Oh, you're gonna regret this because that doesn't mm-hmm. that doesn't help anyone. I need to create that trust and that that bond that they know even if they go back out and they say "fuck you," Ben. I don't give a fuck about any of this stuff, that they know that, that I wasn't trying to push some program upon them that makes them feel like an outsider if they're not on board. Um, I want them to – I just had a guy call me a while back who said, uh, you know, things are getting bad again. When when he left, he told me, he's like, I'm just going to leave. And, I, you know, we talked about things for a while. And I tried to – wouldn't say talk him out of it, but I said, just know that I'm always here to talk no matter what. I go, A-A, hey, hey, no A-A. Hey, hey. No matter what, I'm your friend. You know, if you need somebody to talk to, call me. And he just called me recently. So that felt good. But if I was sitting there saying, um, well, you know, you'll come up. John Barleycorn will drag you back in the door some someday, so, and I'll be waiting here. You know, that's just, I don't need to be an asshole. Mm-hmm.
0: Sorry, I took that yeah. a way
1: different direction than you're probably having it, wanting it to go. But uh yeah, that no, that stuff. makes
0: per that makes perfect sense. It absolutely does. You know, um, just yeah, and you know, it's got to work both ways. You know, people, you know, have to respect our our non belief. But I liked what you said that we're basically doing the same thing. We just have a different head honcho. Yeah. You know, um, that's that's basically all there is to it.
1: Our friend Joe C would say it's the same amount of work. It's just less delegation. <laughs>
0: That's good. That yeah, was a lot that less stuff. delegation. Yeah, that's pretty good. I'll have to remember that one. I don't know why. I have never heard that one. Yeah. Yeah, oh, boy.
1: But it's. I uh-huh. do dig. Uh, I don't say the Serenity Prayer. I, I like the Serenity Statement, but I do dig the the connotation of the Serenity Prayer. It's almost like a little checklist. And this comes at the yeah. end of of the of step three in the twelve by twelve. It's the I His will not mine be done. It's like who am I to demand of God that Your will be done? If God exists, isn't his will just going to be done anyway? It's like, your will, not mine. It's like, oh, okay, thank you, human, for giving me permission to, um, mm-hmm. to, to do my will. Um, and it's interesting, too, I, I had somebody I was talking to about this. I think step 11 says praying only for knowledge of his will and the power to carry that out. But then all these other AA prayers and the Lord's Prayer are requesting all these specific things from God, whereas the hallowed 12 steps and step 11 says, all I'm going to pray for is the knowledge of your will and the power to carry that out. And all these other prayers we say are, like, demanding. Yeah. yeah. I
0: like the serenity prayer, too. Um, <clears throat> it makes sense. And, and you know, there are some atheists who pray. There, I know some that are meeting that do. I don't pray, and I, I, I definitely don't believe in a deity. Um, I don't even say to myself affirmations anymore.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But there's something there's something about the Serenity Prayer that makes sense, and I and I have said it a lot over the course of my sobriety and um, repeatedly. But it does help to have the serenity to accept the things you cannot change, courage mm-hmm. to change the things you can, and wisdom to know the difference. Because if you really stop to break it down. There's a lot of a lot of situations that we run into our life where if we just stop to ask ourselves, is this something I can change? Um, mm-hmm. Then let me make the change. Or and, and then the wisdoms in the difference. You know, what can I and can I not? What can I change and what can I not change? I mean, there's some deep stuff there, and it I think it is worthy to incorporate that in one's program, mm-hmm. whether you're a believer or not, just to use as a mechanism of reflection. Yeah. Of, like, on of whatever problem you're dealing with.
1: Yeah, it's almost like a quick little checklist of if I'm having a little minor resentment or something's really eating at me. I'd say to myself, well, is this anything you can change? Well, then change that part of it. What can you change? Do that. If not, then you better work on accepting it. And I mean, that's, there's I, I needed work the in there, week. too.
0: <laughs> yeah. That's so I, – I, I should have been using that this week because I did something that I – after you do something, you can't change it, right? Okay, right. well, shoot, it's done. I can't yeah. change what I just did. I screwed up. Okay, so I, can, I help me accept that. But what can I do to change my screw-up? Well, I can apologize. I can acknowledge where I was wrong.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and then to know the difference between what I can and can't change. Um, right. In this particular case, I don't know if there – I think. I think – Well, what I couldn't change, I can't go back. I can't, I can't change how people feel about me for what I did. Mm -hmm. Um, I I have absolutely no control over that. And I can't change what I did. I absolutely can't do that. I have to accept that what happened happened, but I can move forward in a different direction. I can Mm -hmm. learn from my mistake. I can apologize and acknowledge my wrong. Mm-hmm. and I can hopefully not do the same thing again. And that's and that's using that's using I think the tools of that serenity right.
1: prayer. And of course we don't do those things to change the way someone thinks about us, but I think if we do it from the right place and with the right motivations, we can change people's feelings. Because if I hurt someone and do something awful, if we keep doing this step thing, John, maybe we'll talk about it in eight and nine, but it's it's about learning how to make a decent apology. If I can demonstrate to someone that I understand how what I did was wrong and how it likely made them feel, then I can probably change their feeling about me. Now, it, it's it's I, that can't be my intention, right? It's not I'm gonna change how they feel about me. But if I come from a genuine place and I just practice being a decent human being as best I can, absolutely. You know. But if I just ignore it, surely they're gonna be mad at me and think, wow, that guy doesn't own any of this crap. Wow. He's the same asshole I thought he was. That's different for me. People
0: make judgments of each other and they judge us based upon our actions and more so than our words. Mm -hmm. And if we if we begin to change our actions, then it will change the perception that people have of us and it also changes our own perception that we have of ourselves so boy yeah and, and by the way we definitely will be going through all of these steps it's uh, I think it's a very useful exercise for me personally but it's also I think a great thing to do for the website and there's a lot of people out there that seem to appreciate this discussion so I think it's definitely something that we want to go through um, but what you said about apologies having a meaningful or uh, apology a lot to that too often um, in my life would I want to just say an apology just to get something done with. You know, not mm-hmm. uh, an apology I think has to be coming from a deep knowledge that what you did was wrong.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, and, and understanding how it impacted the other person. And and that's what I like about AA so much is that we admit our wrongs. We mm-hmm. don't necessarily say I'm sorry, although our, I'm sorry is definitely part of it. It's part of our communication, but We also, we have to admit where we are wrong to ourselves Mm -hmm. and to others. I think it's, I think it's very critical because if you don't do that, it's meaningless almost. And you have to change. You got to change your behavior. If you keep doing the same crap over and over, it's absolutely meaningless.
1: Yeah. And that's, that's where I can be a step apologist because I feel like this whole walk through the steps is about gaining a good understanding of ourselves and um, knowledge of ourselves and how we may have harmed people and all that stuff. And I find for myself the process of going through that i've had a i've had and still have a lot of resentments at my dad throughout my life but going through this process it's it's a thing of humility i think you learn about all the ways in which you may have been wrong and ways in which you can be human and what i found as a process of that is i can be more accepting of some of the things i took issue with with my dad and realize he's just a human being that's going through this that went through this stuff too he's just as confused as i have been at different times and acted out of that so that yep. that's been one of the great benefits of going through the steps for me is that it's it's makes it just a little bit harder to judge other people. Now I still do it all the time, but I maybe mm-hmm. catch myself quicker, and I'm not as quick to stay there, and um, I just. A lot more forgiving in general. And when I was walking yeah. around before, when I still drank, I walked around with this air and uh, arrogance. I don't know if people necessarily would have said that about me, but it, inside, it's just like I could do no wrong, and everybody else was doing wrong. Or the reason I was doing wrong was because everything else was wrong. And it's just such an unhealthy place to come from. And man, it was it was torment to think that
0: way all the time. Yeah. Well, I tell you, this is a very interesting conversation and it's very interesting to, to go back to where it started with steps one and two and, and to see how, how how deeper we're getting now into into human behavior. So, you know, that's what that's what these things do. We get deeper and deeper into understanding ourselves so that we can make a change. So the next step we're going to talk about, and maybe we might want to combine four and five together, I don't know, but um, the, the next steps are the inventory steps. Mm-hmm. Where we really start digging deep into, you know, finding out the truth about ourselves.
1: Mm-hmm. And I think
0: that will be an interesting discussion because there's all kinds of different ways of of experiencing those steps and doing those steps. Um, there's no right or wrong way as far as I'm concerned. Um, And I think it'll be interesting to see how you approach those, how I approach those. Um, So I look forward to that discussion.
1: Yeah, me too, John. And thanks for including me on this. I've really enjoyed it. I appreciate it.
0: And thank you. And I hope that you have a nice Easter tomorrow. You you have family coming over to see the new baby.
1: Well, actually, we don't. Uh, My wife's family will be coming from Wisconsin uh, in the middle of next week, and my mom's been sick, so she hasn't visited. So we've had a lot of nice time to just settle in and and, uh, try and work on this parenting thing. It's actually been nice. Well,
0: good. Well, good. Good
1: and you won't be oh, really nice posting anything about he is risen or anything like that I won't. oh good
0: oh yeah, uh, yeah. Uh,
1: last well. year I think I saw the posts and I was like how did everybody know I just got up <laughs> <laughs> alright
0: Ben well thank you very much I appreciate it we'll be uh, right, talking again get ready for step four next time
1: yeah, have a nice day tomorrow if you're celebrating anything alright
0: right. well that's it for another episode of AA Beyond Belief the podcast I hope you enjoyed this conversation about step three Ben will be back next month for a discussion of Steps 4 and 5. And in the meantime, we will be joined with other interesting guests that I'm sure you will enjoy. So please stay tuned, be well, and we'll be speaking again soon.